When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Meanwhile, in New Jersey... So, Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie, let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil and horror. We can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and, oh, the practical effects. <sighs> um, and also the male gaze? My gaze at the males... Hi From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. Hello, hello, I do declare. This is... (laughs) (laughs) This is Mr. Kelly, joined as always by Mr. Roger and Mr. O'Brien. And this week we discuss in the 1922 classic, Whatever Happened to That Crazy Bitch Who Had the Creepy Life-Size Dolls Made of Herself, also known as Baby Jane. Adam's down drinking pints of gin and singing some show tunes. Scott's upstairs popping wheelies. And I've got the vapors after watching some of my old films. So let's discuss. Uh, I, I, I love that I get, to, I get to write these intros and make, make Matt like act for me and shit. I get to put him on like auditions and stuff. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that Matt is going to quit Horror Movie Night and go do RuPaul's Drag Race. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Horror Movie Night. We are discussing whatever happened to Baby Jane, the movie that I actually picked for us to watch. Much to the the constant berating from Scott and Adam (laughs) that it would be a terrible pick. And, I mean, Adam still might have hated it, but I get the vibe that Scott has... Uh, changed his opinion of this film after actually watching it. <laughs> are we are we correct in that assumption, Scott? I, I don't I don't want to talk about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to talk about those bad things. <laughs> Should all of us do the whole episode podcast, as Southern Bells? <laughs> like, this whole, yeah, this whole podcast is just us doing our crazy Betty Davis impression. Please. Um, yeah, and it'll be every female listener at home going like, Oh, Lord, I do declare. You're giving me the vapors. Oh. God, the giving me the vapors needs to come back in the normal No, vernacular. that just means that it makes you have to fart, right? That's fine. There's plenty of things that give me the vapors then. 
most of yeah. what I had for lunch today. Um, <laughs> was it the free taco bar this, this No, uh, this no, today I brought in day? a turkey sandwich. But, all right, so, the movie no, begins... No, 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 let's talk more about your lunch today. <laughs> <laughs> it might make for a better episode than what we're, what we're doing here for. All right, the film begins in 1917 with Baby Jane Hudson, a star of vaudeville, performing her song, I've Got a Letter for Daddy while her sister Blanche is being overlooked by her father. Then we immediately jump to 1935, where both of the sisters are movie actors, but Blanche is the star, while baby Jane is constantly, uh, films are constantly flopping, which leads to her drinking heavily. And one night while returning from a party, they're involved in a car accident that leaves Blanche paralyzed. Now we flash to present day, or 1962, and the wheelchair-bound Blanche and Jane, who is aged terribly, live together in a mansion. Blanche is unable to leave the top floor bedroom, but befriends the cleaning lady, Elvira. Elvira is concerned about Blanche's well-being, sensing Jane's signs of mental illness. When Jane finds that Blanche has been planning to sell the house, she removes the phone and kills Blanche's parakeet, and then later serves it to Blanche on a dinner tray. Jane fires Elvira and begins to starve Blanche, while Jane puts puts out an ad looking for a piano player in the hopes of returning to the stage. This is when she meets a pianist named Edwin, and they begin rehearsing, including the most bizarre sequence, which we will get to later. But baby Jane, all grown up, still sings Letter for Daddy, and it's it's fucking awesome and terrifying at the exact same time. If if you have if you've seen this movie and you've heard that song, you would hope that you would never see it in a scene that had weird sexual tension between an elderly woman and an obese man. Yeah. You would hope that, that you wouldn't have to see that. But Jane ties Blanche to the bed and then kills Elvira when she tries to free Blanche. Jane then plans to flee with her sister when Edwin arrives and discovers the weekend Blanche and he flees to the police while Jane takes Blanche to the beach. Uh, Blanche confesses that she was the reason for the car accident as she was trying to run Jane over and missed. But knowing that Jane was drunk, uh, too drunk to remember what happened that night, she let Jane believe that she was the one that was driving. Jane responds creepy with the creepy response of, and to think all this time we could have been friends. Yes. Uh, the police arrive and go to check in on Blanche, but Jane is completely lost uh, mentally at this point and believes that she's actually getting attention for people recognizing her as the child baby Jane and starts dancing. And we are left to wonder if Blanche has ever found and whether she lived or died on the beach. So I I picked this movie. I, I've been thinking about picking this movie ever since I picked Sunset Boulevard because I, I truly believe that both of those films, for different reasons, are some of the most unsettling black and white films of that particular era. Uh, I have a very distinct memory of when I was in a film class in college, the same class that we watched Sunset Boulevard. That was like the main film that we were focusing on. But the way the class was designed was it was a two and a half hour class and we would spend an hour discussing what we were going to be looking for in the movie that we were actually going to watch. And we used a lot of clips from whatever happened to baby Jane as examples of what to look for in Sunset Boulevard, as far as the Gothic approach to the mansion and, and all that. And we saw the sequence when baby Jane says, we've got rats. And then the tension that builds as you, you kind of know what's going to be on the dinner tray, but you're hoping that that's not what's going to be on the dinner tray type thing. Also, when Jane comes up and uh, laughs at, at Blanche for not eating her actual dinner because she was paranoid that it was going to be something hor- even more horrible than her dead bird, that's been out for a fucking day. How does she not get sick and die? I don't know. I, I, that was what broke my suspension of disbelief because really this movie is completely believable. This movie, I think, is just a very... 
it, again, I can I can understand if people try to argue that it's not a horror movie, and I mean it. it you know, there's not. You know, does it have a Freddy Krueger killing people in their sleep? No, but you have a very seriously disturbed, mentally ill human being that is not getting the proper treatment and is literally torturing her sister in ways that, in my mind, are far more horrifying than anything that happens in a Saw or Hostel film. Because it's not about the shock value. It's about, like, you put yourself in, in Blanche's position, and it is... You're trapped. You've got... You cannot leave. Also, it's like... I think that the part... It was, like, disturbing until for me until she's tied up and, like, unconscious and or, like, not being fed and even given water or a bathroom for, like, four days after Elvira gets killed. Yeah. That's really fucked up. Like, this movie is... First of all, I'm going to say this movie is at least a half an hour too long. Yes, no. It, it's but, an hour and... Th- two hours and 13 minutes, which it, yeah, it could be a smooth hour 50. Right, and that movie... This movie, though, at two hours and 15 minutes in 62, must have felt like a fucking eternity. <laughs> so, I mean, it felt like an eternity when I was watching in 2015. Uh, but, but you also forget that that was also time for, like, those three and a half hour epics that were coming out, like like the Ten Commandments and Ben-Hur and Spartacus oh, and stuff. yeah, okay. I guess I just think about, like, all the B-horror that I know and love from the late 50s, early 60s, and that was all an hour long because they didn't have the budget for two and a half hours. Exactly. The other thing that's really interesting about this movie is the real-life feud between Betty Davis and Joan Crawford, which continued into the actual movie. And past the movie. And well like, past. <laughs> so, so I one, I can't believe that they actually got them to fucking do it. Yeah. They must have been <laughs> so... They must have been so hard up for work because they're both fantastic actresses. This movie would not have worked for two hours and 15 minutes if, if they didn't have two of the greatest film actresses of the, silvers, uh, of the Silver Age of movies. And so, like, or I guess that would be Golden Age if you're considering, like, talkies. So, <laughs> I don't know if you're going to get to this, but, yes, they hated each other before they did this movie. And... I, when you watch this movie, you think, okay, Betty Davis was definitely the crazier of the two. No. Nope. <laughs> nope. She was actually the same one because Joan Crawford was so goddamn crazy beyond the whole Mommy Dearest thing, which I had forgotten about, but we can get into that in a second. Everybody knows about Mommy Dearest, I'm assuming. Yeah. I don't think yeah. as many people know about the fact that when whatever happened to Baby Jane got Oscar nominations, Betty Davis was the one who got the actress nomination, not Joan Crawford. That incensed Joan so much that she went around to all the other women who were up for Best Actress and offered to accept their Oscar for th- in place of them if they couldn't make it. <laughs> so Betty Davis didn't get the Oscar for whatever happened to Baby Jane. Someone else did. I can't remember who it was. And she couldn't make it to the Oscars. And so she had Joan Crawford accept it in her place. And that just like, all that did was, uh, Betty Davis was like quoted as saying something along the lines of, if I would have won, that would have meant millions of dollars for our picture. Joan couldn't see past wanting to see me lose. It's, it's crazy. It is really crazy. Like Joan Crawford, as great of an actress as she might have been, was absolutely batshit crazy <laughs> trying to find the one quote there's there's a betty davis quote when joan crawford died that's like fantastic betty davis said it when joan crawford died yeah well uh, i wouldn't it, believe that betty davis was the bigger woman but you can yeah. really dash that with this quote here in a second well no if i can find it but uh well, while, gonna... while you're looking for that i was gonna say one other thing about them the reason that betty davis was so upset about that 
with the, the is that both of them were so hard up for their careers that when they accepted doing whatever happened to Baby Jane, they both got profit sharing. They took a lower salary and profit sharing. So basically, Joan Crawford's ego was so much so that she couldn't get past how much she hated Betty Davis in order to actually make money on this film. All right, here, so, here, here's the quote. When, when she found out that Joan Crawford died, she was quoted in saying, you should never say bad things about the dead. You should only say good. Joan Crawford is dead. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Betty Davis was as much a um, a, like cold bitch as as Joan. Like Joan Crawford might have been crazier, but Betty Davis went around telling everybody that the last scene on the beach, she like Joan Crawford stuffed her bra. She had like push-ups so that her her breasts would look larger when she was lying on the ground. And she said that during the scene where she had to trip over her and fall on her, it was like getting it was like falling on two inflated footballs was like the experience. So well, they she, were like I really mean, slapping each other. They, they were doing a, but like, Oh, Betty Davis kicked her in the face. She yeah. kicked her right in the fucking face. <laughs> like there's a take in this movie where like, you can see it happen and she, she kicked her for sure. But to be fair, I mean, and not to say that Joan Crawford doesn't do a fantastic job. Betty Davis definitely deserved the nomination. She goes like above and be- this is one of the creepiest performances I've ever watched just like her, the way that that switch changes on and off between like this aged cranky, like miserable person. And all of a sudden, like that same person, but with this very like childlike six year look, six year old look in her face with the bright eyes and the big smile. Like she doesn't get where she is. And I think that that's what I love about that second performance of I've got a letter for daddy is it's, just so freaky because you're literally looking at a woman in her 60s and the way that she's acting and dancing is you're it's like you're looking at that eight-year-old all over again and mentally she seems like that eight-year-old all over again yeah well also the whole thing is is that like she's the 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 term betty davis eyes she had those huge eyes that was kind of like her calling card when she was doing pictures in the you know 40s or whatever and i think that uh, what what I loved the most about Betty Davis's performance in this film is when the her absolute disdain for that nosy neighbor woman <laughs> she, she comes over and she's like, yeah, she's just like, so <laughs> I love it. I mean, this is a great film, but definitely put the fucking brakes on picking these movies for a horror movie night because I don't, I mean, yeah, I know this was before we were technically horror movie night, but this and Sunset Boulevard are really... Two sides of the same <laughs> coin, man. This like, one's a, at least a little bit more yeah. campy and got a little bit more black comedy mixed in there than, than Sunset True. Boulevard, which was but, very but, serious. Yeah, yeah, that, that podcast was rough. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that will not ever be a retroactive episode. Uh, no, well, you, you were, we were like, why'd you pick this, Matt? And you're like, well, I watched it in a film class, and we're like, oh my god, would you relax, for fuck's sake. Mosby moment ever. Encyclopedia. <laughs> so, speaking of how campy this movie is in retrospect, uh, because I understand that there was some camp to it when they first made it, but it definitely comes along with the cult status of it. I was reading the Wikipedia, and there's some, some sub-genre of horror called the Psycho-Biddy subgenre and they were talking about it like it was a thing and it it kind of reminded me of Diablo Cody two weeks ago trying to make salty a thing Psycho <laughs> was never a thing it was basically just people lampooning this fucking movie 
So no, I, I, read, I read that same Wikipedia article, and it's like, it created the subgenre of Psycho Bitty. And if you click that link, it lists, like, three movies. I'm like, that's <laughs> not a subgenre with the... What? <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe the, uh, the quote-unquote genre had its pinnacle, its, its second coming, if you will, with Misery, I suppose. I was going to say, this seems like a precursor to Misery. They didn't even mention it, though. Yeah. That's what, that's what bugged me about the Wikipedia, so it's... Today, Wikipedia did not make me happy. Well, this yes. is the f- watching it for this episode was the first time that I actually realized how close the parallels to Misery really felt because it does feel like a very early draft of Misery in a, in a lot of ways between you know the wheelchair and the tying to the bed and the the you know crazed person that every time they're not in the house you're trying to get to a phone you're trying to do anything to get someone to come help you just being completely trapped. But we are getting a little too serious, and whenever we start to get a little too serious, it's always time to throw the notes theme in and uh, get what Adam's opinion is on the movie. Wait, I have I have one question. Is that fucking buzzer the most annoying sound ever, or is it just? <laughs> yeah, I was like, no wonder this woman's gone insane. That would driven her crazy. insane. <laughs> yeah. Two and a, two hours and fifteen minutes of that. That was enough to make me want to kill everybody. Yeah, no, Stephen King was definitely sitting in a hospital bed in Maine when he watched this movie, and that's probably when he started writing Misery, but he's like, you know what, I'm going to change it to a bell, because this is just, this is too fucking offensive on the ears. It's terrible. (laughs) Notes for Baby Jane. We're three seconds into the movie. First line is, do you want to see it again? Don't be scared of it, little girl. And I'm like, oof, we're off to a real bad start here. This is, <laughs> this is not good. I, I, advertising and marketing and entertainment from way back then, it, it always feels so weird to me as if like people were really okay with being hardcore pandered to like this. It had that, to have worked. It, it must have. I mean, that just must have been the, the times, right? But like that letter to daddy song is like the sappiest, most obvious pandering fucking song I've ever heard. If like that kind of stuff was what was popular back then, then people were idiots. After the show, a young Toulon comes up on stage and drops <laughs> off his latest masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> he's got he's to go catch a boat to Egypt. Though. <laughs> uh, and he, he's like... I would have given you a different doll, but I had to take a baby chain. Best I can do for you. Best, best I can do for you, my dear. Okay, goodbye. Uh. Please play Letter to Daddy. <laughs> Letter to Daddy. That's my favorite tune. It's positively ghoulish. <laughs> and then, then he stepped out the front of the theater and he looked over at the line of baby Jane dolls and he was like, come along, my friends. And they all got up and watched it. <laughs> Dude, that would have saved this movie. Seriously. No, it would have saved this podcast because I did like it. <laughs> so, yeah, then the. the I've, I, it's been a long time since I watched this movie. I it, it must have been years since I watched this movie. I don't know how old I was. Um, I can't believe I sat through the whole thing once before. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'd forgotten large chunks of it. Like, I remembered how she got crippled and, and all that stuff. But when the mom is having a conversation with her where she's like, one day you'll be way bigger than baby Jane. I was like, wow, you're really, your mouth is writing checks that your ass can't cash here, lady. Like, <laughs> I, you don't promise a small child that. Like, but it came on. true. 
That's what I want to know is like where what what magic spell did she cast? You think the mom was reading the scripts <laughs> and being like, "No, baby Jane, you don't want to do this one. Give it to Blanche." Also, yeah. Blanche. What a <laughs> shitty fucking name that is. Yeah, there is yeah. no huge celebrity named Blanche. I'm sorry. Blanche. Blanche <laughs> Hudson. <laughs> I yeah. I now decree that we must not say her name normally. We must say Blanche. <laughs> <laughs> like the sound of that bell. <laughs> yeah. Blanche. Blanche, baby Jane. You want to know the magic uh, spell that was cast on her? It's called Puberty. She got hot. Dude, seriously, okay. Joan Crawford. So gorgeous. Oh my god, yeah. All those 1950s movie stars were just gorgeous. I like that yeah, time. Shout out to Reddit backslash reddit.com forward slash r forward slash bgb. I've seen you post there before. I was yeah, creeping yeah. on your profile. <laughs> Dude, if I crept on your profile, all it would be was you be, would be you being shitty on Tumblr and action, so I don't even do it anymore. <laughs> Pretty much. I got tired of that. I don't. I don't even know what I do on Reddit anymore. I just own in, and then I <laughs> zone back out. Ha- you skip Reddit altogether and go all over to uh, allinternal.com. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm actually banned from Reddit for spamming allinternal.com all the time. <laughs> hey, listeners, go to allinternal.com. Tell them. Don't the listeners do not do anything that this man tells you to do. <laughs> <laughs> we we cut to 1935, and they're watching that movie, and the guys are like, "Jesus Christ, oh, this is awful! Hard to sit through this." He then went on to beat the cop in Doctor Giggles. Yeah, I was gonna say, I don't know. I didn't think it was that bad. I I, I guess I just didn't understand why he was so upset. I didn't with her think it was acting. that bad either. But that's also, I think, uh, like a it's just supposed to be implied that she sucks. And then, uh, especially the like juxtaposition right after of them doing a walking talk. And sucking ass pretty hard. Um, I was like, who are you? Who are you to be judging people's acting? So anyways, now we're in 1962. And both these women are are still, like, not even just Jane. Like, Blanche is, is very, very childish, too. Like, they both act. You know what makes this movie so creepy and weird? It's it's Jane's, it, it's her performance as well. But it's also how, like, timid and weird and willing to put up with this abuse that that Blanche is as well. It almost like it makes... feels like it's two sides of a similar coin because like baby Jane is that kind of bratty but also like naive childlike element and Blanche always seems like the child trying to act more mature than they are than they actually are type thing like you ever see like when a kid wants to act like they're more grown up so they just kind of they don't know what it's supposed to be so they're just kind of doing what they've seen in movies yeah and there's there's a bit of like um battered wife syndrome mixed in there as well so it's weird watching somebody with such a childlike disposition have such a grown-up mental affliction it's very strange so seriously who just sits and drinks entire pint glasses of gin like, that was giving me, like, Vietnam PTSD <laughs> to, like, times when I've drank minuscule amounts of gin and fucking regretted it immensely. And this woman apparently is pounding through bottles of it. I'm pretty sure that's scotch, bro. No, she orders, when she makes the order, she orders six bottles of scotch and three yeah. bottles of gin. But well, then, I'm sure she's going to have a mixer with that. Uh, yeah, she's going to. <laughs> she's probably mixing the scotch and the gin together. You're probably right. <laughs> Oh, well, that's gross. Seen... Everything in Evil Dead. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like I said, it's giving me flashbacks. Would you say it's giving you the papers? Yes, I would. <laughs> 
Much like I'm sure that she has the vapors pretty bad if you're drinking that much fucking alcohol. Probably... Yeah, I'm pretty sure she hasn't had a solid poop since 1935. <laughs> no, probably not. So this bird theme has nothing on monkey shines. It's pretty weak compared to monkey shines. Well, there was no buildup. It was just like, bird got out. Nope, bird's dead. Yeah, pretty much. Would you would you prefer Blanche lying in bed as the bird just escapes and starts pecking your face? Dude, yes, <laughs> that would be incredible. I'd I, watch that all day. I absolutely do want that. Okay, so she fumbles around with the stairs for a bit, and I get why she would be apprehensive to try that. But she goes, she stands up at the window. The neighbor is right there, right outside, and she goes like, "Please, you have to help me." <laughs> Fucking, it's your legs that don't work, not your voice box. Like, shut it, fucking, come on, say something. And then she makes that little note, doesn't even try and make it into a paper airplane. What the fuck? What are you doing? I was ex- totally expecting a paper airplane. Like, what's more conspicuous, a paper airplane or just a rolled up piece of paper? A paper yes. airplane. Like, people are going to be like, oh, what's this? Is this a message in a bottle from someone who's trapped up in the next house? So then we get a, a dramatic, almost eating food scene. That was pretty cool. Just it was like forty five se- seconds to a minute of her like thinking about eating food, but then not. I feel like that was really just a, an autobiographical moment for Joan Crawford right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That joke's a little more subtle. I hope our listeners appreciate yep. it. Yeah, it's no smacking me. Yeah, all this shit with the musician is unbearably awkward. Again, oh, spent- I, that reminded me. I had to say something. That dude is fat as. Fuck for 1962. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's why like I... a normal American right now. But in 1962, that dude was morbidly obese. I bet he didn't live five years after this movie was made. That's what I'm saying, man. Like, I called him obese earlier, and I mean, to look at him, you'd be like, ah, no. But that's by today's standards. By 1962 yeah. standards, that guy was real fucking heavy. Also, I love how they called Betty Davis fat in this. At the, like, the very beginning, before you even see her, they're like, oh, that fat, angry old woman, or something like that. It's like, oh shit. Yeah. Betty Davis, what? man. You don't talk shit on Betty Davis. No, no, you don't. Well, the, both those women, the, the, those scenes with that mother and daughter were so fucking stupid. You oh. know that daughter was actually Betty Davis's daughter. Yeah, I know. She wrote and... an autobiography that's similar to Mommy Dearest. Oh, for real? Yeah. But she's well. probably just trying to cash in. That liar. Yeah, well, she certainly wasn't going to make it very far in her acting strengths. She was no. god-awful, man. Like, yeah. like as much as the two main actors in this movie really do carry it through very well, everybody else is... I don't know. I guess that's just the 60s again. That's Except for that dude, that, that black dude that is working in the um, the hot dog stand. Man, he kills it. <laughs> it's cops, <laughs> man. How do you ever figure them? So, yeah, the, like, as uh, we've spent so much time with this character, like, watching her regress into childhood that by the time that the musician gets introduced in and there's, like, a strange sexual tension between them, it's really fucking uncomfortable to watch. Like, she wants to take him out to dinner and spend all this time with him and stuff. Everybody in this movie is very much so close talking each other. Like, they're always right up against each other's bodies when they're talking. And that really just weird. I, like, it was making me feel uncomfortable in my personal space. I was like, oh, back the fuck up. Jesus. I'm never going to be happy when a character named Elvira dies. That's for, that's a fact. So I was pretty bummed out when Elvira died there. I was really excited to see actual Elvira, like, whirl in the, the bedroom and be like, I'm here for your bedpan or something. I don't know. <laughs> That's your Elvira impression? <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for your bedpan. <laughs> Have you ever actually heard Elvira speak in anything? 
She, she talks? <laughs> Wait, was there two reasons why you liked the Elvira movie? Um, there's three, but yes. So, dead batteries are no friggin' joke. Dead batteries are no friggin' joke. Dead batteries, they're no joke. You know what's no joke? Dead batteries. That's Are, what are dead batteries a joke? Um... I don't know. I'll have to get back to you on that one. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, at the end of this movie, Joan Crawford looks rough, man. She really does look like emaciated and like she's going to fall apart at any minute. So they did a pretty good job with that makeup there, which I can only imagine to do in black and white would be difficult. She probably had all sorts of weird colors caked on her face so that when it came through black and white, it would look proper. The ending's just depressing. This whole movie's just depressing. Thanks, Matt. Really appreciate it, but <laughs> No problem. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's like a good movie, but I don't ever want to watch it. I guess. I don't know. So would you relate similarly to how Matt and I felt after watching that abomination that was uh, the thief, the cook, the wife, and her lover? Because, yeah, uh, I never want to watch that again either. One, one of these movies is easier to remember the name of. <laughs> yeah. Guess which one I will be talking about more often. <laughs> The cook who thiefed the wife for his lover. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's... In the first three seconds, somebody's getting dog shit smeared all over him. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, you can put that in there. Maybe Jane uh, at least builds up to that. Where was the dog shit eating scene? If they had pulled just a uh, a pink flamingos and had somebody at the end of the credits... <laughs> you don't have to watch I mean it Betty Betty Davis already almost looks like Divine in this movie anyway, so <laughs> I, would, I would argue that it's the other way yeah. around. Hey. Yeah, so final synopsis I guess like like I said, it's a good movie. Um it's certainly not a fun movie. Even though there are entertaining bits, it's never really fun. There's always this sort of just intruding sense of unhappiness and dread watching it you can't imagine that the story of these two women is gonna end happily in any way shape or form right so you're just kind of always expecting the uh the hammer to drop meanwhile in new jersey so marissa what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode well jackie let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy Ooh, and representation of marginalized people Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil and horror we can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and oh, the practical effects. <sighs> um, and also the male gaze. My gaze at the males. hi From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. So yeah. All right. Real quick before we jump into the what we watched this week, I just got to ask you guys real quick. Did either one of you see Allison's post on the Evil Dead discussion on the uh, Horror Club page? No. Did she finally post? She posted, and I, I the ending of the thing that she posted that I can still see is she's you know doing all the different plugs for her websites and whatnot, and it says okay. says yeah I know I'm getting all my plugs out here, and then in parentheses got a tampon. 
Since I, couldn't, <laughs> since I couldn't be on the podcast, it's England over here, and some of us have to work in the morning. JK, I'm just green jello. I love you guys. But yeah, oh, no, I just somebody... want to give a shout out to Allison because she didn't get to be on the Evil Dead episode, but it's pretty awesome that she's uh, making some shout outs to, to a past podcast in her comment, especially, you know, Scott's movie, showing that she liked Jennifer's body a little bit, I think. Maybe. Did she, did she call us a bunch of gomers? No, no, but no. Yeah, then she must, like, she must not like it. All right, so let's talk about what we watched this week. I'll go first because I only have two actually, and one of them's not super exciting. I, I rewatched the Sentinel. Such a good flick. Yeah, I it's re- not. It's not really worth discussing though. Like on on horror movie night because no, not at all. It's just not like there's a lot of shit that happens, but not a lot of comedy in it. <laughs> yeah, no. So I had to watch that for a review for Geekscape, which will probably be up by the time this episode comes out. But who knows? The more important thing was for Weird-Ass Movie Night. Uh, so I have a friend, Joey. And Joey has a boyfriend named Steven. And Joey comes to Weird-Ass Movie Night once in a while. And we're always like, oh, you should get Steven to come sometime. And Steven was... His rule was that he would only come if we watched his all-time favorite movie, which was Mannequin 2 on the move. <laughs> <laughs> yes! So we watched Mannequin 2 on the move. Have either one of you seen this movie before? Hell yeah, dude. Holy I shit, have. it's so much better than the first Mannequin movie. I've never even seen the first one. <laughs> the only reason I watched the second one is because it's Christy Swanson. Ugh. It's so good. It's so unbelievably like campy and cheesy and absurd and ridiculous. And then, you know, it ends with Starship. Nothing's going to stop us now, which is always good to hear at the end of a movie. But... <laughs> Holy shit! Like I did not expect to enjoy that movie as much as I did. Wait, and was this your first time? I've never seen Mannequin Two before. <sighs> and that's... I, I, I've never seen it, but that title has me already. <laughs> you had me at on the move. Well, here's the more important thing: <laughs> as of the day that we're recording this, it just got a Blu-ray release. <laughs> oh! <laughs> like, Buying a Blu-ray player and watching it and buying a copy. I'm hoping that there is director's commentary on there because there's so many questions that I have about the thought process behind Mannequin 2. I like that they try to explain the mannequin. Like, oh, this is how the mannequin thing happens. It's because of a jewelry from from a thousand years ago put on a peasant girl. Yes, that makes total sense. Dude, Adam, you've got to fucking watch this shit. It's fantastic. It's the most 80s film possibly made in 1991. Well, <laughs> I, let's, let's be fair here that, uh, you know, that time period is still technically the 80s. Yeah, the music videos were still all fluorescent colors. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But that's all I've got. You guys can decide which one you think has the better movie to, to take us out on. Um, I didn't watch anything this week, but I have an event coming up that I'm going to tell you guys about that I think you're going to like, so I think I'm going to let Scott go ahead first. Okay. All right, well, I only have one movie that I can remember watching, because I was kind of out of it for a couple days there with that head cold of mine. But, as you guys know, because uh, we Facebook message all day, every day, like little teenage girls... I rewatched Gremlins to the new batch. Oh shit! I forgot that that's this yeah, week that we discuss it. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! What a piece of shit! How dare you? Hold- it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> I mean, listen. I probably will never watch it again. 
Um, Until Adam picks it in a couple months for hard. You got it right. That movie is like watching somebody just look at the screen and tell you really sarcastic jokes, <laughs> and just like, but but not for your benefit. Just as like a big fuck you to, to you, yeah. But like oh, yeah. for their own enjoyment. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was enjoyable to watch, except for the goddamn slapstick that all the. As I told you guys, I really could not handle the slapstick of the um, mentally deficient Mogwai. You mean the soul, whose sole reason in this movie is to be stupid as fuck? fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Did you watch it just because I posted that Key and Peele thing on the Facebook page? No, it had been been on my my short list to rewatch. And I was waiting to watch it with Megan. And then that Key and Peele thing came up and I was like, (laughs) Megan, 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 Megan. Seriously, (laughs) Vegetable Gremlin? And she's like, I never watched Gremlins 2. And I was like, oh, we're watching it. She's like, Vegetable Gremlin? I'm not watching that. That sounds terrible. And I was like, okay, well, that, that decides that I'm just watching it by myself. So, yeah, that's why I watched it. I mean, so KFU, yes, had something to do with it. But the vast majority of it was just because I could not contain myself anymore and just had to get on with it. But, yeah, the, the very beginning is okay. I could not stand the Mogwai. Again, they're just so annoying. But then... The, the Gremlins come out, and it's a gross movie. Like, I forgot how gross the Gremlins movies are, because when they have the, those, like, pus-filled sacks in their back with baby Gremlins coming out, you're just like, man, that's just so nasty. And and there's, it's just, and, and like, the there's food flying everywhere, and there there's things that melt. But also, Christopher Lee is in it. It's so awesome. I didn't know who he was when I was nine when I first watched that movie, or eight, I guess it was. And uh, and he's everybody just overacts the perfect amount because they knew that it was supposed to be funny. And Phoebe Cates is like doing her whole spiel from the first movie, telling about her dad being dead in the chimney, and then but she keeps on like fucking it up, and they're just like. Get on with it. You know? It's about it's about the worst thing that ever happened on President's Day. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so I have I have one real quick story because I, I, as Scott's talking about this, I'm remembering this happening. So I saw Gremlins two in theaters. I did too. Did you collect the cards? I used to. I can't find them. I wish I could. Oh, I don't have them anymore. But, I mean, you're. I'm not the hoarder that you are. But, but I, so yeah. I was. I mean, anybody who listens to the podcast knows I like wrestling. And at the time that Gremlins 2 came out, I was still a pretty big wrestling fan. But I was like six when this came out. So in the scene where Hulk Hogan's in the movie theater, I looked around the movie theater to see where (laughs) Hulk Hogan was. (laughs) Wow. I've wondered about your mental capacity before, but not as hard as I am right now. As a child, I was just like, "Wait, Hulk's in the theater!" Like, I'm, uh, I'm betting I know which which Gremlin Matt related to the most <laughs> in that movie. Uh, but I, I love, I, I've, we've talked about it before. I love Gremlins Two, the new batch, and I love it just because of how, like, it is. Just like Adam said, it's just someone being sarcastic at you. And it somehow is this combination of the film that Joe Dante wanted to make the least and was probably the movie he ended up having the most fun doing because he got this contract where he could do whatever he wanted and no one could tell him no. 
Man, that movie is just pure, unadulterated fucking Leonard, fun. Leonard so Molden good. being murdered by gremlins while giving his, like, one-star Death. review on the first uh, Gremlins movie. like Yes. Um, so I, I explained that part to Megan, and she looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> but Leonard Molden getting killed by gremlins while he's talking shit on gremlins. Come on. So, so real quick, did you ever hear what happened with the VHS release of that movie? No. Okay, so when they released it on VHS... They changed the Hulk Hogan scene um, because they were like, well, that they're like, that won't work on VHS. So they changed it where the VHS tape starts to look like it's being eaten inside the machine. And it does that for like a minute before the gremlins pop up. And most people never figure that out because they thought something was wrong with the tape and immediately would eject it and take it to the video store and complain. So that's why, like, it used to have to come with a warning explaining that joke to people beforehand so they knew when they were renting the movie, like, hey, by the way, it's going to do this thing. It's part of the movie. Wow. Those people are idiots because I've seen both versions. (laughs) And I watched, like, the VHS version on a a VCR. Yeah. And I never for a minute, like, it takes maybe 30 seconds, and then, like, you see the electricity gremlin, and you can tell that they're just, like, screwing with the dials. I never for a second thought, like, is there a gremlin in my... I'm not Matt. I don't think Hulk Hogan's in the theater, and I also don't think there's gremlins in my VCR, so I don't know. But to be be honest, though, the Hulk Hogan version is way better than the VHS version. That's what I rewatched. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's great. (laughs) I'm calling them the Grimsters. <laughs> I used to have that whole speech memorized. Gremlins here? Ah, <laughs> like, oh, and it's the dude from fucking Eaton Raul is the the usher. I don't know yeah. what that is. He he worked. For, he's in a uh, death uh, death race two thousand. He did all of Roger Corman's movies, so he was he, friends he, with Joe Dante through that. He's the he's part of the annoying couple at the beginning of Chopping Mall. Yeah. If you remember in the Chopping Mall episode, we brought them up, too, and you're like, I don't know who these people are. But all right, so, Adam, what's your exciting thing? Well, on Friday, I'm going to be going to Kingston for all my Canadian peeps. What up, Bulge? And Miss Rich Rich and Don. Why are, like, half the people that are OG horror club people from Canada? Yeah, I don't know. We, uh... Because we're the the outlet for... Adam's their outlet for a holish canadians because it's such a rarity they're yeah, like they're... we're not alone <laughs> i wish i wasn't so polite i'll just let this guy be a piece of shit for me <laughs> <and shit. laughs> um but you gotta listen so... to this podcast day you won't believe what he's saying <laughs> <laughs> i didn't hear him say please once um so i'm going to kingston i'm going to uh a, a screening of Candyman. Nice. And uh, his name escapes me right now, but the Tony dude Todd. who played Candyman is going to be there. Tony Todd. <laughs> Tony Todd, yeah. Um, so I'm going to go to that. I'm going to check out all the booths and stuff. If you guys can think of a good question to ask Tony Todd, then I'll get up and ask it, and I'll <laughs> record it, too, so we can put it on the uh, on the podcast. What was your least favorite Candyman sequel? <laughs> Uh, everyone that came after the first one. Yeah, there's uh, only two for him to choose from anyway. I think. <laughs> so yeah, I'm excited for that. Um, I uh, I'm just excited to to watch Candyman in a theater. Yeah, I that's love a really Man. great movie. Like that's one oh, of those movies so that good. you you forget that it's like 
super fucking smart for a for a horror slasher film. It is and it isn't. It's also like entirely like about racism and I hated I hated that somebody pointed that out to me because I don't like it in that context. When you when it's about urban legends and all that stuff, um it's better, but there was like this theory I read online that I'm honestly not even going to say out loud, but it made a, it made too much sense and it's wrecked my viewings of of that movie. But. So, wait, hold on a second. <laughs> so, so are you telling me that beyond the brain dead thing, you also watched Candyman and didn't get that it had anything to do with racism? Because I no, kind of got that like right off the bat. <laughs> I'm not the dumbest fuck gremlin. All right, okay. no, I got. I got that it had to do with racism, but it, it was a theory that was a lot more in depth than that about like what the care. Never mind. I'm not gonna get into this because I'll just sound like a gigantic <laughs> idiot. <laughs> um. Okay. So, quick side note, Scott. Remember when you were watching all those full moon films? How could I forget? Did you watch Hideous? No, should I put that on my list of things to find? Not really, but Hideous is on my screen right now, and there is a little tiny monster straight sucking a titty on my television right now. Oh! Okay. <laughs> like, like, imagine the monster from... Do you remember the movie Small Soldiers? <laughs> like, <laughs> I remember that, like, photographically. Which monster are you talking the, about? The, like... The, the the one that kind of, like, was the leader of the monster side, not the soldier side, that was, like, kind of half-cat-ish type thing? Yes. Yeah, yes. that's what this thing looks like. <laughs> like man, weren't you watching a movie where where a giant man had sex with a, a woman the other week, and now you're uh, watching that was, that that was, that was, uh, No, 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 don't. Let me say it. Not to Food of the Gods. He fucked her on some microgreens. <laughs> <laughs> and it was no Food of the Gods part, too. Oh, I hate you. Well, that was Whatever Happened, Baby Jane. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Horror Movie Night. Next week, we'll be talking about The Ruins, which I am not looking forward to. But Adam and Scott have both promised that it'll be a blast. So I will throw that on my Netflix queue uh, as soon as humanly possible. We have t-shirts now. (laughs) It's your penance. For making us watch Whatever Happened, Baby Jane. Whatever. This episode turned out okay. We have t-shirts now, thanks to Scott. I'm not sure if Scott has any idea where to go to buy those shirts, so I'm going to buy him some time if he needs to figure that out. But don't forget that you can always email us at hmnpodcast at gmail.com. Come and send us some comments on what movies you want to see us review. Throw in some insight. I still would love to do a mailbag episode one day, but again, we would need emails to do an e- to be able to do a mailbag. So let us know if you what movies you think we should be talking about. Let us know if you thought that whatever happened to Baby Jane was a good or bad idea. Um, tell us some of your stories of watching this movie as a kid. Did you ever catch this movie as a kid like Adam did? And you're like, how the fuck did I watch this as a kid and not lose my goddamn mind? <laughs> What's the hardest you've ever questioned your own IQ at a movie theater? <laughs> I have my answer. I said it about ten minutes ago. I have no answer. Do you do you know what the URL is yet for our shirts? No, I don't remember. Okay, it, uh, it's not fixed yet. Yeah, we'll post a link somewhere uh, to let you know where to get the shirts, and we'll keep you up to date on that. But yeah, if you enjoy our VHS of the Dead design created by Scott, 
that is essentially what you would be wearing if you bought one of our shirts. We're looking to get a couple more. We really want to get a uh, one more question about ghost sex shirt made up. Yeah, we one that doesn't uh... infringe on copyrights. Yeah, that's probably a good yeah. idea. Um, so that is all for this. Come and check out next week when we are talking about the ruins. <laughs> Mommy Deer, Mommy Dearest is the one that's like no more wire hangers and shit. Yes, right? yep. that's yeah. Faye Dunaway playing Joan Crawford. Yes, but we should a real life that, account of pick that next. <laughs> no, I've got something awesome up my sleeve next. Don't you worry. Uh, right now, I don't know if your idea of awesome and Adam and I's idea of awesome is the same thing. <laughs> no, he's picking. He's picking the gay divorce with Ginger. Fucking Ginger Rogers. That's his next pick for a horror movie. (laughs) What? Is that a real movie? Yeah, it is. Meanwhile, in New Jersey... So, Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie, let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil in horror. We can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter... And, oh, the practical effects. Um, and also the male gaze. My gaze at the males. hi From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 